When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Thanks for having us on. This is fucking fun. Yeah. Hey. Are you guys you. drinking? Yes. Come on. <laughs> we both have two beers in front of us. So we have four total. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Alex Higley. And I'm Lindsay Hunter. And I'm, I'm a writer. writer, but... Welcome to I'm a Writer But. Today we have Kayla Upadja and Kristen Arnett with us. Woo-hoo. Kayla Kumari Upadja is a lesbian writer of essays, short stories, and pop culture criticism living in Miami. She is a fiction editor at Triquarterly and a writer for Autostraddle. Her short stories appear or are forthcoming in McSweeney's Quarterly Concern, Catapult, The Offing, The Journal, and Fugue. And her pop culture writing can be found in The Cut, The AV Club, Vulture, Refinery29, Vice, and more. She's an upcoming fellow for Lambda Literary's Writers Retreat for Emerging LGBTQ Voices. And Kristen Arnett is the NYT bestselling author of the the debut novel, Mostly Dead Things, which was a finalist for the Lambda Literary Award in Fiction. She is a queer fiction and essay writer. Her work has appeared at the New York Times, The Cut, North American Review, The Normal School, Gulf Coast, Triquarterly, Guernica, BuzzFeed, Electric Literature, McSweeney's, PBS NewsHour, and elsewhere. Her story collection, Felt in the Jaw, was published by Split Lip Press and was awarded the 2017 Coil Book Award. She was a spring 2020 Shearing Fellow at Black Mountain Institute. Her next two books, With Teeth, a novel, and an untitled collection of short stories, will be published by Riverhead Books. She has a master's in library and information science from Florida State University and currently lives in Miami, Florida. Welcome! Welcome, welcome. Thank you for having us. Yes, Y'all are so fancy. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not. My heart was pounding as I read each and every sentence. <laughs> oh, God. Jesus Christ. So you... <laughs> this is a podcast where Alex is just shocked that I ever opened my mouth. So enjoy. <laughs> oh, man. Um, all right. Who wants to read to us first? What would you like to do, baby? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so Kayla will read first. Yay. Cool. Um, Okay, I'm just going to read this first section of a short story of mine. It is called Field Games. Yay. I think she's asleep, but then she rolls over, bones cracking as she realigns herself, dips her mouth close to my ear, and taps my sternum twice. 
I bet you I could kill you out here and get away with it, she says. We're lying in the bed of her truck under a flat sky punctured with stars. It's cold, and moments ago when we were fucking, I kept my jeans on, but she still expertly worked her way between them as she has done before. Her knuckles rubbed red from the friction of denim, but I don't care, and neither does she. She asked me to be louder when I came, so I pitched my moan into a yelp and wondered if I sounded like a coyote. I'm not sure if there are coyotes where we are. I know that we're somewhere in Connecticut and I know that she grew up here. And I know that we're in a field four miles down the road from the restaurant where she took me and we shared two bottles of red wine that tasted sour, but I kept drinking it anyway because it made me forget how cold I was. I've never been to Connecticut. Everything smells wet and rotted. The field's grass has been flattened and thatched by endless truck tires. She's talked about her hometown's beauty, so crisp, so quaint, so lovely but I can't escape that rotted smell. And I'm so fucking cold all the way to the bone. I feel the skin in my hands start to crack. This is her favorite game. I bet you I could jump over that fence. I bet you I could hit that sign with this peach pit. I bet you I could make you come five times in a row. I bet you I could make that bartender flirt with me. I bet you I could chug this, shotgun that, shoot cheap whiskey without a chaser. I bet you I could swim out to that post in less than two minutes. I bet you I could kill you out here and get away with it. This one is new. I laugh unbothered. She has always had a dark, twisted sense of humor. Jokes coil out of her like a live, live thing, make it easy for her to make new friends, made it easy for me to fall for her quickly. Though I haven't told her I'm in love and she hasn't budged either. That's a different game entirely. Sometimes it feels like we've known each other for only a blip, barely scraped the surface of one another. Other times, like now in the truck, I can remember the time before her, but it feels distant, like looking at a speck out at sea from the beach and wondering if it's moving, if it's alive or just a really big rock. How would you do it? I egg her on. She hooks her arm back under my neck where she pulled me into her while fucking me with her other hand moments before. She tightens it there, curves her hand around until it's resting on my neck. She taps my sternum again. Ring your neck like a little chicken, she says. It takes more strength than you would think to snap a neck, I say. She laughs and removes her arm from behind me, curls it into an exaggerated flexed muscle pose, which looks ridiculous because she's still awkwardly sprawled on the truck of the bed and because she's wearing a big sweater that hides any strength she might have. You saying my arms are weak, she asks. I laugh and pull her back to me. My head presses against the hardness of the truck and I want the cushion of her arm back. I hope she'll put it there without me asking. I wait, but she leaves one arm thrown across my waist and one propping up her own head to look down at me. My eyes flip between her and the stars glittering behind her head. Her short hair is dark and must, looking just like the leafless trees surrounding the field. Fine, she says. I just choke you out and then drive you to the river and drop you there. I guess we're still playing. They'd find my body, I say. Her head tilts. Maybe so. Plus, there's the issue of all these witnesses, I say. Other trucks and cars line this field, headlights cut so that I didn't see them at first, not until we got closer and I realized this is a place where plenty of people come to do the things we're doing here. So much for a secluded romantic field. She'd waved her hand as we pulled closer. It's called the love field, she'd said. Don't worry, no one will bother us. What witnesses, she asks. All the people in the love field, I say. She doesn't laugh at my delivery. What if all of those cars you saw before weren't really here? 
what if I told you that everyone thinks they see those cars out here at first, but really they're just a trick? Her voice stays soft and low. What if they're ghost cars with ghosts inside? What if it's called the love field because this is where messed up people bring lovers to die? What if this town is haunted and cursed? If we're stuck in a scary story? Maybe I didn't tell you the full story. Maybe I brought you to a ghost field full of ghost lovers. It sounds like another one of her weird dark jokes, but I haven't heard a punchline yet. And the way she says the words so gently, like she's casting a spell, isn't how she tells jokes at all. I try to keep my eyes locked on her, but they flare sideways, searching. I can't see over the side of the truck bed's walls. I know I'll have to lift my head if I want to. I don't believe her ghost story, but I have an overwhelming need to see those faint outlines of cars again, to see other couples sitting in beds of trucks, nowhere to go, too drunk to get on the highway anyway, wrapped in blankets, huddled full for warmth and horniness. Look at you, she says. You wanna look now, don't you? You wanna check. I slap her sweatered arm and roll my eyes, tucking my arms under my head as I turn on my side. Let me sleep, freak, I say. I close my eyes to stop myself from straining to see beyond our little boxed in truck coffin. That's it. <laughs> I Yay. love it. And I'm so glad you read that. If people want to read that themselves, they can go to a fugue, right? Yes. The full story is there. And the whole story is great. That's my personal opinion. <laughs> Thank you. It is. It is. We were lucky enough to get a sneak peek at it ourselves. And it really is. And I'm reading um, Carmen Maria Machado's uh, In the Dream House right now. And mm -hmm. I feel like there's there's like a really wonderful symmetry between that story and her book. And um, so it's really wonderful for me personally. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. That means a lot to me personally. <laughs> and there's a lot of like, you know, sex in, in both of them. And, and I just... Uh, Really appreciate that. So well done. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, Kristen, what do you have for us? Okay. Um, I hate to follow that. Uh, <laughs> I, I'll, I'm going to read just like a few pages out of the upcoming novel um, from With Teeth. I'm going to read something like midway through. I don't need to, I don't, it's not anything I'll need to explain just a couple pages in, um, which I think will be, will be fine. Less sex than Kayla's, disappointingly. For, like, <laughs> okay, well then forget it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm upset about it too. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, swim practice happened every Tuesday and Thursday afternoon directly after school. That gave Sammy just enough time to pick up her son from school, stuff a snack in him, and get over to the YMCA pool across town before practice began. Samson sat in the back seat eating his crackers and cheese while Sammy navigated traffic. According to his coach, Samson was a natural swimmer with a lot of power and great form for someone his age. Sammy had no clue if that was true. She didn't know much of anything about swimming, but she did know it was the first activity her son had ever actually seemed to enjoy. And she pushed him for other things too. He was smart. When he worked hard enough, he could do anything he wanted. And she told him that repeatedly especially on the rare occasion when he seemed even a tiny bit interested in something. So Sammy was willing to brave the chlorine scented room, watching him for hours on end. The noise was deafening sometimes, all the splashing, the shrill sound of the whistle, all of it echoing off the tile walls, the kids shouts magnified to shrieks, but none of that mattered. Samson was flourishing there. That was reason enough. He still carted his doll around with him occasionally, but mostly kept it in his room. 
Sometimes when Sammy was cleaning up, she thought she could hear her son whispering to it, like they were having private conversations about something. She didn't like it, but she tried to reconcile herself to the fact. At least it wasn't going with him to school anymore. Hungry? Sammy asked. Through the rearview mirror, she saw him stacking up his snacks, cheese in one pile, crackers in the other, then eating them methodically, one cheese, one cracker, one sip of juice, one cheese, one cracker, one sip of juice. He didn't answer, but that was fine. Sammy could see he was okay with the cheese today. Sometimes it was trial and error. He did not like cheese that was orange. He did not like cheese that had holes in it. He did not like crackers with seeds or flavorings on them. He did not like orange juice. That was a weird one, not liking orange juice. All kids liked orange juice, didn't they? They lived in Florida, for God's sake. But then Sammy was pickier about food than anyone she knew, so she didn't really have any business questioning her son's preferences. They pulled into the wide parking lot with 15 minutes to spare. It had rained earlier that afternoon and the sun was sparking diamond bright and the puddles still dotting the pavement. A blue jay sat washing itself in one puddle, flicking water off its wings every few seconds. Sammy rolled down her window to smell the fresh air and watch a procession of moms pull their kids from their cars, carting them into the building. One mom Sammy had gotten friendly with as friendly as she was used to being with other moms anyway, was Lenore, who had a little girl Samson's age. The two kids didn't really hit it off, but Samson didn't really hit it off with anybody. Sammy knew that feeling. It was hard for her to make friends too. She missed the queer people she'd hung around with when she was single, back before she turned into a gay mom. She always thought about it that way in capital letters, because that's what happened. You turned from a queer woman into a queer mother, and suddenly your old life and friends didn't fit the vibe of your new life. There were no gay mommy groups in Orlando, hardly any gay people in her everyday interactions besides her wife. Lenore had two kids. Serena was the younger, but the other was already in high school, a son who played basketball. Lenore was divorced. Lenore had long blonde hair she pulled back on either side with tortoiseshell barrettes. Lenore had short teeth and a dimple in one cheek and wore bright lipstick that sometimes stained those little teeth like she'd been drinking wine. Sammy thought about those teeth a lot. Too much, probably. Sammy liked the way Lenore talked. She was blunt and aggressive, and she didn't put up with the other mom's attempts at fake chit-chat. The first time they talked had been on accident. Lenore was sitting up at the top of the bleachers, waving her way with a big cardboard fan, and Sammy had automatically waved back. No, not you, Lenore yelled. My kid, she's got her fucking suit on inside out again. Normally, Sammy would have been embarrassed, waving at a woman she didn't even know, like a total idiot. But instead, she was impressed at the woman, swearing openly in front of a room full of fourth and fifth graders, and more impressively, their stuck-up mothers. Come up, Lenore told her. Not my kid, you I mean, the new kid's mom. Sammy climbed up to sit with Lenore, who handed her a Coke to share. Or so she thought until she took a sip and found out it was really just a bottle of rum with a splash of soda for color. It felt illicit and kind of sexy to drink with all those kids around them and not a care. Lenore wore so much lipstick that it rubbed off around the screw top. And every time Sammy took a drink, she tasted that lipstick and she thought the woman wearing it, this woman she didn't know who kept leaning in to whisper loudly about all the other moms. There was something nice about it, something unusual, an extra moment that was hers alone. It all felt strangely important somehow and she wished the moment could have lasted. 
Finish your cheese, Sammy said now, watching her son methodically chew every bite. That's how he ate. Though her son's brain was still a mystery, there were things about him that she did know. He was whip smart and a fast learner. He was graceful with cat-like reflexes. She and Monica both felt he could have been a dancer, could have done gymnastics. He could catch a ball, skip rope for hours, clap on beat. He walked with confidence, more so than most children his age, regardless of gender. He was neat and tidy for the most part, more than most boys that age she knew, or at least she thought she knew. Okay, he wasn't always neat, and he wasn't always graceful or well-behaved. He shouted sometimes, through fits, shut down altogether. He was normal until he wasn't. Maybe that's how it was with every child. Often there were days Sammy had to remind herself that just because her son acted a certain way, withdrawn or sullen or hostile, didn't mean he'd act that way forever. It was hard to raise a kid, different from what she'd expected when she was pregnant, when she had two bodies to feed. Could I have a bite? Sammy asked. Samson passed a sweaty square of cheese up to her in the front seat. She nibbled at it until it resembled a misshapen heart, then wiggled it at him. Check it out. That's nacho cheese, Samson. It's mine. He didn't smile back at her, but his face softened. That was something. Let's get you suited up, she said, and they both got out of the car. Okay, I will stop there. That's a good, that's a good stop in place. Thank you so much. Not thank you for stopping, but thank you. (laughs) (laughs) You're both such powerful readers. Yes, that's what I was thinking too. So like both extremely distinctive and like, uh, but very different from one another, I feel like. Oh, I love that she reads. I, yeah, I love how she reads. So that was fun for me. (laughs) Someone asked on, um, we made people on Twitter ask questions. um, And I thought that it kind of, coincides with this little moment here um do you guys show each other your works in progress um to each other we do show a lot of stuff to each other which is um interesting for me because well this is like the first like writer I've ever dated and same Mm. yeah and so I've never really shown a partner work before at least Mm -hmm. not work in progress and I do show like Kayla saw um, with teeth before it like went out to like my editor even, which was very like felt weird to me. Cause I've only ever had like one reader before, but I, um, I definitely send Kayla like short stories that I'm working on. Um, I don't, I don't necessarily send like when I'm working on like novels and it feels like it's still too new. I don't, I don't, mm-hmm. her, but I definitely still talk about that stuff, which is unusual for me I feel like Mm. but he listens to me stuff too yeah yeah I do the same and it feels unusual for me as well like both because I also have never dated another writer um but also both of us are somewhat protective of our own work we don't have a lot of early readers or anything like that I have like just uh, you only had one before me and I have just like a couple I feel like so yeah it's it's been unusual for both of us I don't think either of us really expected and it wasn't even a conversation where we're like okay like let's share work now it just kind of happened organically and yeah yeah we're just like in the house like both working on stuff and we're like let me let me bounce something off you yeah yeah yeah, so much of the work is happening when we're in the same space so it would be a little hard not to share I feel like are you looking for like cheerleading or just an ear? Like here, you know, sometimes I feel like I, I make my husband listen to something I'm writing, but it's because I kind of just want to say it out loud. 
Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, what kind of feedback are you guys looking for from each other? I feel like a lot of times I just want to like, yeah, I think it's very similar to you, like Lindsay, to like mm -hmm. kind of voice it a lot. I need to like, kind of, I want to like speak it into the air a little just to kind of like for Kayla to hear it, but also for me to hear it out loud, mm -hmm. if that sounds mm -hmm. like that's very helpful to me. I think just as a human being, I kind of am that way just about like things I'm processing. I want to say them out loud just so I can hear them. I, I think I didn't realize that I quickly realized once we moved in together is that a lot of the ways that I write is like me talking to myself out loud. <laughs> Before <laughs> Kayla was living with me, there was only the dogs and like the cat to hear it. So I guess I just didn't realize that's what I was doing. Cause it's not like they were giving me a lot of feedback. <laughs> you we talk to yourself a lot. Yeah. <laughs> My middle child talks to himself all the time. And if you, uh, if you're like, Hey, you know, like, who are you talking to? Cause I'm fascinated. I want to know if he's talking to like an imaginary friend or something. <laughs> he'll just be like peeing and he'll be like, you have to beat the bad guy. Yeah. The bad <laughs> guy. And I'll be like, Oh, you know, like, what are you, who are you talking to? What are you talking about? And he'll be like, mom. <laughs> so it's like, I feel like that's a sacred space, Kristen, that you must've been inhabiting. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it was, yeah, I was like, I did not realize it, but um, yeah, that's like, I mean, I don't want to speak for you. But that's like what I, like, I think I'm doing a lot of the time. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, now? for me, I feel like it's a little different. Yeah, I feel like you're usually looking for kind of like a, first of all, it helps you process it to have somebody else kind of look at it, but you're kind of looking for like the cheerleader mm -hmm. type thing. Um, I'm like, you better tell me it's amazing. No, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're not really looking for notes necessarily. You like to talk about it. Like, I want like to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, you like to have the conversation about it. So I think you're trying to get like what my kind of impressions are, but. Cause sometimes um, that's better than like critique for me a yeah. little bit is to like, if I'm able to have a discussion about it, which kind of functions in that same kind of capacity, I think. Right. And with me, sometimes I'm, I am usually asking a specific question. I'm like, is this working or mm -hmm. do you get this? And I usually just ask it after you read it, but yeah, I usually have like a specific question that I'm asking you. Yeah. Yeah. You just went on a, a joint writing retreat. We did. we did. And it was We're, great. It was in the mountains. It was, it was like a writing retreat slash anniversary Oh, cool. Oh, oh. <laughs> that was a romance. Romance. Yes, yes. Yes. Um, it was, yeah, we were like, oh, I mean, because it's like no one's going anywhere. We haven't done anything or seen anyone. I mean, like nobody has. But um, we're like, it'd be nice to kind of like be in a different place to write than like me writing at the kitchen table like every single day and then Kayla being in like the office every single day. Like, it'd be nice to just kind of go somewhere else and like, be in maybe different weather mm -hmm. it's a different uh, yeah a change of scenery and it, it was good it was it felt like especially because it's like when it's like was designated as this kind of like writing space then it it felt like it had like a lot more weight other than like being at the house and being like okay now it's like writing time or else I could get up and like you know like like clean the dishes <laughs> like you know like like fuck around with the dog or like <laughs> Something. we were pretty intentional about yeah. making it kind of a work trip like we were like yes this is our anniversary and it's kind of vacation because we're driving you know to a different state mm -hmm. and you know have this nice airbnb but we were pretty intentional about the fact that we were both there to write 
which was good, which it was nice to know that we we're both, we we're both able to pretty work pretty well within the same space, which I feel like doesn't happen all the time. No, definitely. Yeah. We're very lucky about that too, because we had happened to do that before the pandemic, um, uh, just because of kind of how both of our jobs worked and stuff. Yeah. In the very beginning, we were as soon as we moved in together, we were working in the same space. And so we didn't have to make that adjustment or kind of learn um, the hard way once the pandemic hit. I think, yeah. So it was nice to go and do that because there's like a, a thing that I feel like it's been like, there's just something about going to some like shitty coffee shop and like, singing, <laughs> like listening to like the canned music mm-hmm. and maybe like drinking some kind of crappy coffee, maybe possibly asking someone to watch your shit while you go to the bathroom and what <laughs> here and they're forcing urine out of yourself, like hoping that they were like reliable and like not stealing your computer. <laughs> like there's something like a, that's just like, like, Oh wow. I missed that kind of situation uh, of writing, just kind of being somewhere else and like other bodies kind of like, satelliting yeah. around you um yeah, yeah. it's like so, by osmosis yeah I was just like or just like hearing like snippets of conversation mm-hmm. or like just you know I don't know getting being able to get out of your own head for a while so it was it was nice to go and do that even though it was still just us two because it uh I don't know it was at least a different space which was nice yeah where did and you guys also- go where did you drive we went up to like a like southern North Carolina, so like oh, we cool. broke through Georgia. It's practically Georgia. It's but practically it's technically Georgia. North Carolina. Um, cool. Yeah, since we're down in Miami now, instead of like in Orlando, it adds like an extra like three and a half, like four hours onto the drive to get like wow. anywhere. <laughs> yeah. So um, we we stopped in Valdosta for a night and then um, went on and stayed there for a few days and then like did the same thing, kind of coming back. Uh-huh. Yeah, but it was good. We did. I felt like we got a lot of work done. You, yeah. you got. What like a were whole... you? What were you working on, both of you? Um, I'm working on whatever this third novel is going to be. Who the hell knows? Um, so you've already blown past your collection that's coming out. Yeah, I yeah. I had like a kind of like a very loosely put together collection that I was shopping around, like when um, with teeth got purchased. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was the thing that was the most done. And I was like, oh, you want a novel? Then you're going to have to take a short story collection. <laughs> <fuckers>. yes. <laughs> yes, I love it. That's how it goes. Okay. Cause otherwise they won't take them. Exactly. I was, I was like, listen, I was like, I, I, cause I was like, I, I, I was like, I am writing novels, but I also like have a deep and abiding care yes. and love for short fiction. Um, as, that's as how a, I first came to you, Kristen. And for many people, for my short fictions, yes, yes, came to you that way. I because yeah. I, I deeply value it as like a as a writer, but I as also as a reader. Like I'm mm, like definitely a, like a intense reader of short fiction. I very much value short story as like a form. So I want to be I wanted to be able to do that also with them. So I already had like, and I have uh, I have other stories too, like that I have like kind of put together in the meantime, but like outside of that collection that I'm hoping to like kind of have a conversation and see like what we want to switch out, like how we can order it. Cause I think like order is like, right, like kind of fitting the puzzle pieces together to see mm-hmm. how, the, how collections work. So yeah, this has been like, this is a helpful conversation for me to have cause I never feel like I'm writing enough. So this is- <laughs> You are bonkers. You don't feel like you're writing enough? 
I, I never feel like I'm doing, I, I have this like overwhelming feeling all the time that I need to be doing like 25 things at once, which is maybe just. We talked about that on some recent episode where I was telling Alex that I used to snap awake and be like, you're going to die one day. And, then, <laughs> and, and, and so I like, I had to fill every moment and I still feel that way. Like I have to fill every moment with like, Lindsay, you are filling every moment. <laughs> Ultra awareness and work. And like, you know, like I have to, I feel you, I feel you, but I know just, you know, based on my, my lazy knowledge of your life that you're writing plenty. <laughs> Kayla, what were you working on? I was working on a ghost story. Oh, cool. Yes. Um, uh, I had been thinking about it for a while. It was something that I wanted to write and had been putting off a little bit because my kind of uh, day job was taking up too much time. And I, once we got closer and closer to going to North Carolina, I was like, okay, I'm just going to save it for there. And I wrote the whole thing while we were there. What a great place to write a ghost story. Seriously. Yeah. yeah. I, I was uh, constantly freaking myself out because I was um, reading a ghost book and what writing book, book? story. I was reading uh, Bag of Bones by Stephen King. Oh, yes. And one thing about dating Kristen has been that I have read a lot more Stephen King than I ever <laughs> had before. <laughs> I, I, I can only support that. I love it. Yeah, yeah, it's been fun. So I was, but yeah, it was like interesting, interesting choice on my part to uh, read Bag of Bones while we were staying in a cabin. In a secluded cabin. In a secluded yeah. cabin, <laughs> yeah, in the middle of nowhere. And then I was working on my own ghost story. It's very oh thematic. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I was cleaning the house and listening to the Unsolved Mysteries podcast the other day. And mm. my eight-year-old came up to me and I was like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> myself. <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay, I didn't tell you, but after we had Adam on last, we had Adam Price on last week who wrote uh, Hotel Never Sink. Yeah. And I couldn't go down in the basement the <laughs> night after I finished it. I literally was at the top of the stairs and it's like, you know what? Actually, I'm going to wait on that one. I so I don't know if you guys have read that, but it, there's some intense basement moments. Yes. Oh, yes. I get really easily. Kristen does not so no. much, but I get super spooked. Me too, Kayla, big time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kayla, are you uh, mainly a short story writer? Do you have any desire to write a novel one day? Um. Yeah, I have a desire to write a novel one day, but that feels uh, distant to me right now. Um, I'm definitely focusing on short stories and trying to put together my first collection and yes. yeah, it's like, I, I definitely have the desire and like, I, yeah, I mean, I love novels. <laughs> um, so it's there, but it feels far away from me. I think that's so great that you understand that. Cause I feel like I put a lot of like more pressure on myself when I was like really like in my short story writing life I kept thinking like but I probably have to write a novel I probably have to write a novel I wish I would have understood like what you seem to understand that like that's down the line uh yeah I know I'll say that didn't really come from myself that was like just hearing some other um writers who I think are really brilliant short story writers who kind of talked about their own experiences um Bantil yeah. Moniz in particular mm-hmm. like she mm-hmm led this um, panel at Tin House this past summer where she was talking about how like 
the question that so many short fiction writers get is like, okay, but what about the novel? Or like framing the short story as like a stepping stone to novel work and how she was kind of trying to um, unlearn some of that for herself and like not put too much pressure on herself, but also be open to the idea like, yeah, maybe I do want to write a novel. Um, I don't know, hearing her talk about that um, made me kind of change my thinking about it a little bit. That's great. That makes me happy to hear. And that like her collection too is I think such a shining example of like why like short fiction like functions on its own is in its own important art form and doesn't need to be any kind of stepping stone into anything. No, yeah. Like Milk Blood Heat is like an immaculate collection of short fiction. Yeah. Like you like could read that on its own. It's like you're not reading it going, wow, I wonder when she's gonna like put her novel out. Yeah. <laughs> All of these should have been novels. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. <laughs> No, it's definitely um, the little bitch of of the fiction world, right? Like, and it shouldn't be. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like my... No, go ahead. Well, it's just, it's harder to have uh, an easy narrative to tell, to explain to non-writers what a short story is. It's, you know, in the past couple of years, like the uh, the cat person story was like an easy one to like say, oh yeah, you know, you remember that one that you got emailed by your uncle or whatever the hell but like i feel like it's yeah exactly but um i just feel like you know everyone has the uh the narrative of like the the debut debut genius with a novel and it's like something that's just understood by even people who are picking up maybe one or two books a year but it's harder to kind of get someone to the point that's outside of a regular short story reader or writer you know, what the hell this is. It's like, okay, this is in the New Yorker, right? Okay. Well, where else are they? I don't know. I just feel like it's hard to bring people to them outside of maybe a little bit of experience as a, as a kid growing up in elementary school or something. It's just, I don't know. It's fun. It's harder to have just the people outside our world. Yeah. <laughs> get sure. interested. I think that's a really Why? good. Yeah. I mean, cause it's like, I mean, I guess it's easier to be like, well, this book is published. You can find it at Target. Great. <laughs> like, like oh have you heard of like you know um xyz like college you know journal and um find my short story right in the print edition you can't um you can't really read it um if you had a subscription you could have had it they didn't send me my copy they said exactly. i'm waiting on my copy it's like a whole ass situation with like just trying to describe short fiction exactly um, yeah i was I paid 100 dollars, 100 whole dollars to write this story for this university journal and you that know something like, like that it's like you explain to people and it's like oh my god yeah exactly that's what i'm saying <laughs> funny too because if you think about like even like okay like cat person which turned into this whole phenomenon people are like wow everybody's talking about a short story finally for once like it's trending on twitter a short right. story like oh it like went viral but so many of those people were even calling it an essay like i was like how many times <laughs> oh. did you think you're like oh the essay cat person and you're like no bitch that's a short story <laughs> exactly. like, really oh. interesting to like think about like how like the contemporary kind of like public consumes like if it's that short then in their mind it's like if you're outside of like the zeitgeist of the fiction writing world then you just are not going to understand what a short story is and we'll call it literally an essay i think that's true i think you're right yeah <laughs> this is the chapter from her forthcoming novel <laughs> so i understand this thing that i'm holding 
God. Uh, speaking of the literary zeitgeist, uh, so here's another question. This is from at Summer Ash 99. And she says, what is unique to lesbian writing as a genre right now? Are there trends or common themes that you see lesbian authors creating? And I had a question about that. And that is, do you consider what you guys do to be lesbian genre? Um, in my mind, I, it's just straight up fiction. Yeah. In, in my mind, I see myself as like a queer fiction writer. So everything I write, I consider to be queer. Mm -hmm. I don't consider it to be like genre because I don't want to say genre because then it starts to get into that thing where it's like, I don't know, where you get like shelved in something like with like, like how we're talking about chiclet or like, which is its own like very weird way that people categorize like women's writing. Mm -hmm. it, kind of way. I think that that's why I'm like pushing against it because I, I, I feel like so often in, in my career it's like you know female writer Lindsay Hunter and it's like no I'm writer, writer yeah, but yeah. I also am you know but I also do own the female you know so it's weird. I, yeah it is it is a weird thing because yeah I similarly like stress that my work is always very queer and um like I talk about being a lesbian a lot and write about it a lot so it's like it's something that's important to my identity but like I don't see yeah lesbian genre it yeah I'm kind of like I'm less invested in that because I think that that it it's again starts kind of like pigeonholing work into like kind of weird spaces yeah it's also kind of suggesting that like we're all writing the same thing yeah <laughs> which that's is not definitely the case. true like, I mean Chris and I are a good example of that too like we write very different things yes totally um and uh, yeah so yeah I don't know I mean that's also saying like the lesbian experience is the lesbian experience which is obviously not the case right yeah, it's, right. it absolutely is not. I do think that they're like, I don't know, there's like interest. It's interesting to see what crops up just in literature that's like, right? Like, oh, this is like something that feels like people are hopping on. But that's also like, again, like a question of publishing. Mm -hmm. That's what we see getting published because one person has success with something in publishing and then publishing feels like it's profitable. So then they'll like choose some other things that are like associated with it. It's like what you see on like TV and stuff too. Yeah, for sure. So okay. it's less like, like what's like popular versus like what publishing I think is going to like think is profitable. Well, so then do you see trends and common themes to go back to uh, Summer's question? Mm. Like, is there like trends in like queer writing that you can, like, that you think are happening? Um, I mean, I don't know so much trends. I do think that there has been, um, and uh, I guess this is kind of veering into more nonfiction than fiction territory, but like I have been really um, grateful for kind of uh, an expanded lesbian canon when it comes to like, um, like you were just talking about Carmen Maria Machado's in the dream house, like mm -hmm. uh, writing on um, kind of abusive queer relationships. Right. Uh, that is something that has been so rare or was previously like a weapon kind of used against uh, queer people in general. Mm -hmm. um, uh, that, and to see like these kind of queer written narratives about queer abuse and especially in kind of interpersonal relationships is something that is new um uh yeah and Carmen engages with like that history or lack thereof 
um, in that book. And like, so yeah, not so much a trend necessarily, but like some, some things that are being written about now that, um, I think like one happens and then it opens the door, which is like, it's, it's always like really not that like, I don't know. It's like, you don't want to necessarily see like memoirs of abuse. Like you don't want to have that happen to a person, but it is nice to be able to see like stories being able to be told about it because then it like allows for other stories to be told. Like yeah. Different stories. Yeah. It sometimes literally just provides people with the language that they didn't have before to then write their stories. I'm trying, I'm like, really want to open this beer and then feel like I can't like it's open the it in the middle of, of it. Open it. Go for I'm it. Gonna, I don't, I don't want to do it in the middle of the beer. Right okay. I'll do mine too. Okay. So we can. <laughs> oh, I love it. Thank you. <laughs> now I have to ask you this question because that's, it's related to that. Uh, okay. Amy Winkler uh, wants to know what it's like to be gay icons for middle-aged cis women. <laughs> <laughs> How does that feel to you? Um, no, I mean, it, like, uh, I, I'm, again, once again, the, the person who is trying to make breakfast beer happen <laughs> who would be probably dead of scurvy if have, like, Kayla feeding me. Like, it's, it's a, a well, bless that someone would consider me to be someone to, like, look up to in any kind of capacity. I do think, I do, I do believe that you both evoke joy you sort of embody this um joie de vivre (laughs) I think (laughs) um uh it really does feel like um you know that to me is is iconic that that you're both just so full of joy for each other and for your Miami life and your adorable dog and you know like and (laughs) and you're back this year Like early pandemic when we uh, were kind of stuck in Las Vegas, which was such a weird thing. That was Um, a strange. uh, I mean, Vegas. I I forgot you guys were there. Yeah, Yeah. it was our. It was already kind of weird. You know, we went from being long distance um, girlfriends who had met on Twitter. Yeah. um, And I kind of just like followed Kristen. I was like, Hey, baby, you want to move with me to Vegas? Yeah, that was our. I'm living together um and then I was like and P.S. you're trapped with me here yeah so we we'd only been there for I think less than two months before the pandemic hit and then so we're kind of stuck in the city where we didn't know anybody and um didn't know places or anything and we were also in a lofted apartment it was a gorgeous apartment beautiful amazing but um to all of a sudden be like in a loft we couldn't be on zooms at the same time because there weren't rooms (laughs) yeah so so it was like a whole thing to kind of navigate um but we we had these little kind of rituals that we put in place um and one of them was our our gay club night that we would do we had to sort of like manufacturing our own fun because i was like if this is like there was like i think one day where I was like, I was drinking a beer. I looked at the clock and I was like, well, God, it has to be like at least 4.30. It was legit 11 a.m. Oh I'm, I'm not going to make it. Like, yes. I am not going to make it. I was like, I'm sliding down a slippery slope. That was, yeah. So we, we started gay club night and we got a lot out of it. It was great for us, but it was also like, we got such an outpour of excitement 
like and enthusiastic engagement from other people doing it that mm-hmm. it then kind of became a thing where like we're gonna do gay club night for us but we're also gonna do gay club night for the people who expect us to do gay club night yes. so I get yeah. something out of it yeah <laughs> it became like a thing too where I was like I was like, I just need something where I can like figure out, like divide up the week. I need to know what day it is. Like, not because I need to know what day it is. I mean, even when I was like, you know, like busting my ass, like at the library and I'm working like a crazy week where I'd like get in at like six in the morning and leave like at 8 PM. Like I didn't know what day it was then. Mm-hmm. But, like now then I was just like, literally the days are like bleeding into each other. And yeah. I was like, I feel like I'm losing it. And so if we have like, we started like establishing like these kind of specific routines during the week and then we're like that were fun for us also oh for sure we started doing gay club night and we also started doing this i'm going to say it we started doing on thursdays like uh, erotica night which was like this like we would read like really bad erotica to each other but was a great (laughs) game yeah so we had like rules that we wrote that we were like okay like drink if and then shots if and it was like kind of like gay erotica so we like wrote like tropes in like drinking <laughs> like, game rules and so then when we would like read it like some nights we would get like no joke like super fucked up <laughs> like I was like I was so hung over the next day I was like I cannot believe how hung over I am off of this like horrible piece of erotica that we read. erotica night persisted we had, we had to stop doing gay club night now that we live you know in a condo and have neighbors and people who live below and above us but yeah. but erotica night has persisted <laughs> and that's literature where do you find bad gay erotica Oh, everywhere, all over the internet. Okay, all over the internet. It's there. Like fan fiction. You can go to fan fiction. What is it like? It's like the Ocean's Eight. Oh yeah, I there's this one series of Ocean's Eight fan fictions that are like actually eroticas. Uh, There's like sixty of them in one series. It's been an endless supply. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It sounds like that um, that podcast. My dad wrote a porno. Did you guys ever listen? Yes. To that? <laughs> yeah. 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 We're recently informed about that. Um, your description of looking at the clock and thinking, surely it's four thirty, and it only being eleven o'clock. That's my um, my daily struggle with my totally. <laughs> being home with my small children, and it made me remember that I wanted to ask you, Kristen, what made you want to write about motherhood? You know, for with teeth. Um, I think I was thinking a lot about like parsing out queerness in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I think about a lot um, is this idea about like having to be like the gold star, like pun intended, I guess, like queer in terms of everything you do. Like you, like in like in order to be like acceptable, it needs to be like, you need to be like the best at that thing. So I was like, what if it's like, in terms of like motherhood, um, maybe you're just like a shitty mom, you know? But if you're like a gay mom with a son, you have like this like idea of the, the, the voyeur or the lens looking in that's like, you better be like amazing at it. Because like already people are expecting, I think women to be like super moms all the time. Mm-hmm. But this like look of like, okay, like not only do you need to be a super mom because you're a woman, but also because if you're a lesbian doing this, you're going to fuck it up for everyone else. Mm-hmm. If you don't do like a hundred percent, a plus like bonus work job on this. Mm-hmm. And I was like really 
interested in the idea of writing about that. I'm also just always interested in the idea of families and how like everybody in a family is like an unreliable narrator. <laughs> uh, right. Like it's like everybody's telling a story and it's the same story, but everybody's telling it differently and kind of like a different, it becomes different stories altogether. So I was like, I don't know. I was really fascinated about doing something like that. I'm like, what if I just like could write about a person who is like encountering a specific slice of queerness, like queer motherhood. Mm-hmm. And also is just like kind of shitty at it and kind of like kind of shitty also as a person. And I was like, I am really interested in inhabiting that. And also I was like, I mean, specifically with, with teeth, I was like, I'm always thinking about the different kinds of humor that I can like be parsing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what I was really interested when I was writing with teeth was like, I was like, what is like the most uncomfortable I can get? So <laughs> I was like, what's something that's like deeply uncomfortable and still funny to me? It's a super uncomfortable novel. It's like very uncomfortable in a way that is super funny. Yeah. I was like, I was like, I'm interested in like everything being like deeply uncomfortable. And I think, I think motherhood is like also like deeply uncomfortable um there's like just so many things that are like I don't know like and also all the things that I just really am interested in which is like bodies Mm -hmm. bodies and like bodies doing all kinds of different stuff Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um stuff that's like you wanted to do stuff you don't want it to do at all and I was just (laughs) I'm I'm, like deeply invested in all of this and it was it was really interesting to look at it through like a queer perspective just because just because of that like the the idea that like you need to be a very specific kind of thing, or you will ruin it. You call it, it the gay pressure cooker. The gay point? pressure cooker. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I, I really liked how you, um, I just finished reading Julia finds the upstairs house mm-hmm. and, um, it's about a woman who gives birth and then loses her mind. And, yeah. um, and at one point she sort of confronts that what she's actually feeling is this intense fear of her baby, um, and, and fear of like fucking up and fear of, of, you know, hurting the baby and fear of, of being bad. And um, I think you touch on that as well. Um, you know, like there's this fear of Samson, right? Like there's there's yeah. this, um, you know, you, you mentioned the discomfort, the how uncomfortable it is to be a mother and all these emotions that you're constantly, you know, facing or choosing not to face. Um, you know, like I always think of motherhood as like just constantly eating shit. Where's <laughs> 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 like, my servant of shit for the day? Um, you'll be eating shit multiple times today Um, so I I really appreciated that Um, this one was funny is there anything that isn't a ravioli oh that question isn't a ravioli no I'm just kidding everything's a ravioli I'm kidding everything is a ravioli everything's a ravioli (laughs) technically I'm a writer but is a ravioli Uh (laughs) um Alex McElroy, who has a new book out, wants yeah. to know um, what goes into a mostly dead things cocktail, a with teeth cocktail, or a cocktail for Kayla's McSweeney story. Beer? Well, I actually um, came up with cocktails for each of our McSweeney stories because oh my gosh. Uh, that was like, that was, you know, it was an exciting moment for me. It was my. Hell yeah. It was my fiction debut and um, we wanted to come up with a way to like make it feel special. Mm -hmm. Like 
um, yeah, it was my fiction debut and then we were both in it and it was a issue that we were really excited about. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, but we're stuck here, you know, (laughs) just the two of us (laughs) and we wanted a way to kind of celebrate. And so I had actually come up with, um, drinks for each of our stories. Um, and the one for mine, uh, the story is called the plant game. And so I know, I knew that I wanted to do something that was green Mm-hmm. Um, so I did like a gin and creme de menthe, um, oh, wow. drink in like a little coupe glass. Uh, it was good. Yeah. And then, um, Kristen's story, which is called a uh, bulldog, bulldog or bald bulldogs, 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 um, is about a woman with some anger issues. Yes. And so I decided that the drink for that was a um, shot of scotch and a beer. I think if I had to give uh, Mostly Dead Things a uh, drink, it would be like um, when you wake up in the morning and there's like the half empty kind of flat beer next to the side of your bed. <laughs> And you just—that's <laughs> the drink for that. And if I was gonna do with teeth, I guess it's gonna be screwdrivers. Yeah, screwdrivers for sure. Screwdrivers, just yeah, like totally. Shitty, um, shitty, um, uh, Zephyr Hills bottle of screwdriver. <laughs> yes. There's something so Orlando about a screwdriver. Don't you think so? I, I completely agree. It is so Orlando. I mean, it's like simple. I guess it's Florida y. Mm-hmm. you know like so that's great that's perfect I definitely there's this like time like I went to go see the 40 year old virgin in theaters <laughs> and I went with friends and I took like a giant bottle of like screwdriver like in a bottle in the theater and like I was cream mix yeah and I was like <laughs> so drunk during that movie apparently like I don't remember any of it but apparently like I laughed the whole time and people were telling me to shut up and, <laughs> and I literally left the movie theater and afterwards, like, I was like, I don't remember any of the movie. Like, I don't remember watching it. Oh. I don't remember what happened. All I remember is I drank like the Lord's like gallon of <laughs> drivers. Uh, when I saw a gone girl in theaters for the second time, oh my God. <laughs> this is already a story. <laughs> I did end up seeing uh, it four times in theaters, but the, sec- the second time I went to a bottomless mimosa place and had, um, I think 13 mimosas. Jesus. Oh my God. Okay. Are you still drunk? Gone girl. Oh my god! There's a funny moment in Gone Girl. Holy moly. We saw we saw Gone Girl on our honeymoon, so you know. <laughs> wow! Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> things to come, you know. Oh, they filmed that in the town where my mother-in-law lives. Hi Sue. Uh, Hi Sue. They still, have, they still have the bar, the bar sign. No way. And the actual oh, wow. bar from the movie, yeah. So every time we drive down there, I'm like, there it is. <laughs> kids kids that's from the movie gone girl and they're like what <laughs> well we are going to release you into your lives this was fun that's thanks good. so much for coming on guys we like to keep it you know simple and painless as much as possible this was this yeah was very fun. this was a really fun time thank you for taking the time out to chat with us 
What the yeah, hell are you talking about? Thank you for taking the time. Seriously. <laughs> we love you guys. And I can't wait for With Teeth. And I can't wait for Kayla's everything. And yeah. we'll see you on the internet. That was really fun. It's totally fun. I just was, I just, I feel like I didn't speak because I was just having fun listening to them. I just didn't even, I was just like, keep talking. You guys are amazing. They're, they're total pros and they didn't need us at all. No, I, we literally could have just said go and I would have, which kind of we did. And it was just like, this is great. Keep going. And they were like, their, their laugh, when they laugh together, it is so perfect and beautiful. Yeah, they laugh in unison, but then they did a nice back and forth naturally with their speaking. It was just the ideal, the ideal guess. I loved Kayla's story. I know. I hadn't, I didn't, I hadn't heard the whole thing yet, but uh, there was like this amazing um, sense of threat at the end of it. That was just at the end of the section she read. That was really nice. I liked that a lot. Yeah. It, it, the whole thing is kind of spooky. Yeah. And um and I'm, I'm, as I said, I'm reading Carmen Maria Machado's um, in the dream house and she, she, which is her memoir of an abusive relationship. And um, she talks a lot about how kind of what Kristen was touching on where it's like, if there's a queer uh, character, then they have to be like, they either have to be the villain or they have to be the absolute angel character, you know, like a plus and everything perfect person. And um what actually is true is that, you know, people are human and that's how, you know, queer characters should appear in, uh, you know, books and movies and whatever else. And so she's sort of like staking her claim in like, here's my memoir of an abusive relationship, me as a queer woman. Um, and so like, I'm reading that and, and then I'm reading Kayla's story and there's so much like over, not overlap, but like, there's so much like speaking to each other there where it's just like, um, like great sex, but menace, you know, like, mm-hmm. and sort of like trying to figure out who you are as you're like seeing who you are through their eyes. And I don't know, I, I just, maybe because I'm reading that book at the same time that I'm reading Kayla's stuff, it feels like deeper. Um, or like, I feel like, uh, I don't know. I feel happy that I'm reading both of those at the same time, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. It sounds, it sounds really interesting. And with what, I liked what Kayla said about, you know, she, they, we, we had the question about trends and I think that they both turned it around in a, in a, in a more interesting way, potentially just to say, you know, here's maybe an, uh, an example of a, a queer writer writing about an abusive relationship, which maybe there aren't a ton of examples are within, you know, the, the canon of queer writing in the recent past. And this is going to potentially produce, you know, different kinds of books moving forward because all sorts of readers are going to be able to understand a new way forward to process their own experiences and put it down into a, into, you know, nonfiction or fiction or however they choose to approach it. But I I liked that. I liked that idea that, you know, kind of opening the gates as opposed to um, necessarily just being thought of as a trend. I like Mm -hmm. that. It made me think of, um, it made me think of this thing I keep thinking about. I mentioned it on Twitter because I kept thinking about I'm reading how to do nothing right now and Mm -hmm. the first point when I really stopped in the book and was just like holy shit uh was there's this paragraph about how attention 
is contagious and how, you know, if, if you and I are walking around and I see you constantly paying attention to whatever it is, you know, my, I become attuned to that and that informs mm-hmm. my reality on a day-to-day basis. And it's really just such a beautiful um, way to think about the world and just kind of just be open to that kind of attention from other people and be aware of what you're putting out for other people to become attuned to. And yeah, I think it, it's really in line with what Kayla was saying, just that, you know, new work is going to come from this because attention is contagious. Really, it is. That's such a good point. And I and I also loved that um, that excerpt that you put on Twitter because at the yeah. end, like she kind of takes you through this, you know, like what you were just talking about, and then also gets you to understand that like you can see that you actually have what you need. Right. Like she was saying something about um, like capitalism relies on dissatisfaction. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Did she say capitalism? <laughs> I keep yeah, no, that for sure. Just... No, you have it exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. And and so um, so like social media sort of breeds that as well. But if you just pay attention to like if you pay attention to what's around you and what you have and, the, you know, like you you have what you need right there. Mm-hmm. I thought that was beautiful. Yeah, it is. It's a it's a really it's an amazing book. I'm really enjoying it. Um, for sure. I would recommend it. Yeah, it's in Ben's bedside table, I believe. And oh, cool. For... So he's got the Portis over there. He's got the Jenny O'Dell book. What else he got over there? He's got a good you know stack. What? I, now I have the Portis in my bedside oh, table. Oh, awesome. Okay, cool. He wants to make it clear that he believes that True Grit is not the best Portis. Okay, yeah. Listen, I, I just have only read that one. I'm, I am I hear Ben loud and clear. I'm excited to go through all the Portis and, honey. you know, debate it with him. <laughs> oh he says it's the fifth best portis wow isn't there only five he said isn't there only five <laughs> he said yes oh my uh, lord i mean if that's true and i end up feeling that way have then five, oh, have you yes he's read all five i fucking love true grit so much so that's i mean wow that's a lot of lot of good stuff to look forward to what what should he read next all right. Dogs of the South. Dogs of the South. Okay. He thinks Gringos is the second best. Wow. Okay. I feel like most people haven't read that one, so I'm excited for that. Ben's corner over here. Well, now you're just naming all the books. Yeah, he named all five. He did it. <laughs> um. Dogs of the South. Okay, I will. He said that's I will. the preeminent one. That'll be next. And that concludes Ben's Corner. I, I love Ben's Corner. <laughs> uh, how was your week? It it went quickly. Mm. That's about what I can say. I just can't even... I'm having trouble remembering things. Mm-hmm. I think I say that every week, but it's still true. Um, well, you don't get a lot of sleep, so that's, you know. Yes, I don't. I don't get a lot of sleep. My week felt long. Uh, well, you know, my, my oldest went back to in-person school four days right. a week. Yes. Um, yes. And that was like, <clears throat> that was really great for him. So, uh, like being around his peers and like every time he walks up to line up, all his friends are like, Parker. That's so cool. So, um, that was great, but it's made my, uh, life much busier because I need to, you know, drop him off, pick him up drop off my other kid, pick him up, you know? So 
Um, life's a little crazier, but in a good way. And that's really what's been missing in his life, you know, like talking to kids who are also eight years old. Right. Because I try. <laughs> I try right. to be the eight-year-old in his life. Oh, but, man. Um, you know, that was a long time ago for me. So I'm like, hey, hang 10, right, bro? <laughs> cowabunga dude yeah <laughs> oh my god did you get any uh did you get any work done i did i got a little work done i got work done on two of the days so um and that was you know i hadn't done any work the week before so it was good to get back into it it felt really good and still new pages on this project still new pages oh my god Lindsay. yeah this is gonna be a 600 page book it isn't though because i'm only i'm only i'm not even at sixty thousand words was it been like four or five, six months? Oh, since I started it? Yeah. I started writing it uh, like late spring last year, maybe early summer. So it's been Still. a while. It's been almost oh. a year. Yeah. Well, a tough year though. This is actually slow for me. Hmm. This is really slow. Um, I was going to read some of it because I just miss reading. Oh, please so. do. Yes, please do. It's just, a. Um, I didn't, there's four brothers in this book. And so far I've written from three of them. And I didn't think I was going to write from this other brother's perspective. Uh, but I, I, he's like just been pouring out of me. So um, I feel like awesome. he's like the middle child and I'm a middle child. So maybe this is his, you know, his overdue due. Anyway, I'm just going to read a little <laughs> bit um, of him thinking of his past. Okay. He'd seen Jason and Cece kissing, seen Jason put his hand on one of her breasts, seen Cece put her hand over that hand. Even then he knew it was tender, new, two still children in the middle of a rite of passage, innocence embodied, a girl at school, amber skein, reddish orange hair down to her butt and freckles just a shade darker and pale blue eyes. She hadn't been pretty all the years they'd been in school together. She'd been gawky and timid, bookish, not all that interested in anyone outside her tight circle. Then one day, not long after he'd seen Cece and Jason, he noticed her long pale legs, her pink dewy lips, her balletic slender fingers. She was gorgeous and no one knew it. He was the first one he could claim her, plant a flag. Hard to know if he really did understand then that he was being a jerk, a typical dopey teenage boy and just didn't care or if he was applying that to himself now looking back. He was filled with self-awareness then which he now recognized as self-loathing, a belief that he was shittier than all the rest of humanity, sometimes just a hair shittier and sometimes the shittiest. He handed her a poem, one he'd found in a book of love poems at the library, folded up into a triangle and heavy on the virgin metaphors, though he didn't quite get that at the time. Really, he just thought her beauty was being compared to the springtime, forget all that crap about flowering. Walked right up to her as she was stuffing her clarinet case into her locker and scratching the back of her calf with the toe of her sneaker. Here, he said to her, jabbing the note at her, dropping it without meaning to. He pointed down on it and said, it's for you, as though he had nothing to do with it, was just the delivery person. Cece was at her locker across the hall and two classrooms down, and he wondered if she'd seen it, if she was curious about what was happening, if there was some alternate universe in which she could feel jealous. Nate, Amber said, is this from you? He was almost directly across from where Cece was plugging book after book into her frayed purple Jansport, the one she'd had for ages. Of course, he called back to Amber. Amber, of course it's for you. Still nothing from Cece. The hallway was filled with chatty students and teachers and announcements and scuffling. Amber smelled citrusy, but more complicated somehow, peppery. He thought of her reading the note all through his next class, his heart pounding in his ears. She looked like that actress, he realized, like a scrubbed real version of her, and she'd held his eye. He began panting a little. 17, he answered the teacher. I mean, 16. 
After school, it was, a, it was as though they had agreed to meet in the center of the starburst where all the hallways converged, walking slowly toward each other and grinning like they were getting away with something, nobody noticing a thing. And he carried her clarinet for her because he needed something to do with his hands. And they walked together to her bus, number 264. It's okay with me that you didn't write that poem, he said. It never occurred to him to think of that, to pretend he'd written it or not. His heart pounded harder, but her face was neutral. She genuinely didn't care. Here, she said, handing back his note, my number's in there. We can watch Jeopardy over the phone together if you want. Nothing was nerdier. He knew if he did that, Douglas would stand behind him making fart noises, or worse, the rapid jack-off noises he made by grabbing his cheeks and pulling at them quickly. Or, she said, taking her clarinet back, we can just talk. I just watch Jeopardy so I can do better on the SATs or whatever. As far as he knew, Cece didn't watch anything on television. He couldn't think of a single time she'd mention an episode of something. She, for a semester, had also played the clarinet. He noticed that Amber had a small hole in the toe of her sneaker. Earlier, he'd noticed a scab on her elbow. These sorts of things were becoming increasingly embarrassing, these small evidences of their fading childhood, their burgeoning, unavoidable humanity. He thought of his mother, how she'd cut her finger sometimes in the kitchen and just suck the blood away. His father had a black toenail and had for weeks. I'll call you, he said, heat rushing up the back of his neck. I'll try to think of stuff to say, he said. In his head, it had seemed like a normal, normal, fine thing to say. Out loud, it seemed like calling her would be a burden, something he'd have to endure, something he didn't actually want to do. But again, her face was neutral. Okay, cool, she said. Me too. That's it. I love it. Thanks. I feel, I feel like that one, I'm starting to, I don't know, you mentioned it was the last piece, but it does feel like, uh, okay, some threads coming together here. Good. Finally. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about you? I have nothing. Anything? I have nothing to read. I'll uh, I'll think of some for next week. Mm-hmm. But uh, read yeah. how to do nothing and read yes. in the dream house. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Awesome. Talk to you later. Talk to you next week, bud. Bye. I'm a writer, but is recorded by Alex Higley and me, Lindsay Hunter, in our respective basements. Because there's a pandemic out there, please wear a mask. Yeah. yeah. Editing by Lindsay Hunter. Music by Max Loop. I was just describing to my husband the depression I feel by the time dinner time rolls around and I have to figure out what to cook for everyone. He was like, "Mm -hmm, yeah, mm -hmm. (laughs) that's too dark for me. Please move on.